Friends, it's good to be with you in worship today. If we haven't met, my name is Adam, and it's my joy to be senior pastor here. Special shout out to our friends who are worshiping online today or with us later through the podcast. Uh, one, of the, one of the cruelest scenarios in corporate America is when you are in the process of being let go and also asked to train your replacement. Anybody ever been in that scenario? How would you feel if they're like, mm, don't need you so much, but we'd love for you to help, help out, you know, before you leave? We're going to look at an example of incredible graciousness and generosity in a scenario just like that. Now, it's been a great week. I got my Super Bowl cup of victory here, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, I've used up all my times I could wear my red shoes already this year. And I thought to myself, you know, maybe folks maybe have some Super Bowl fatigue. It might be a little self-indulgent to start off with a Chiefs clip, right? Wrong! (laughs) I've been sitting on this for like three months, man, and I was like, oh, it'll be so much better when they win. This is a clip of Patrick Mahomes talking about his first year with the Chiefs when he had 12-year veteran Alex Smith ahead of him, who he was drafted to replace And in this interview on the Kelsey Brothers podcast, Patrick talks about how incredible Alex treated him. Let's check it out. Uh, To Andy Reid in the 2017 draft, man, um, makes the Alex Smith trade in 18. Was there a passing of the torch kind of like conversation? I mean, you you and Alex were like brothers. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It It was awesome to see how he embraced that situation, how you embraced that situation. That, that year was so much fun mm-hmm. as you because Alex had his best year. You know what I mean? So, and we, we took off as an offense. But um, just uh, touching on that, was there any, like, uh, between you and Coach or between you and Alex, kind of that passion, the torch? Yeah, I think it was more uh, me and Alex at that time. I just thanked him, man. I mean, it, he, he could have he been someone that just kind of went off and did his own thing, but he welcomed me into that quarterback room. Yeah. Um, I know I'm getting all serious now, but, like, he like he didn't have to do that. I mean, he could have just went out there and, and done his thing and been a great quarterback like he was that yeah. year um, and let me be on my own. But he taught me so much. It helped me become a better player. So uh, having Alex, man, I'll, I'll forever say it, man. It, it probably made my game jump uh, three steps um, when, it, when I could have took three years to get those three steps. 100%. So Alex Smith – embraced Patrick, took him into his tutelage, under his tutelage, when he didn't have to. I mean, he was drafted specifically to replace Alex. And Patrick said that that year he took three steps what it could have taken him three years to get those steps. I think that's just incredible. Alex Smith was a guide for Patrick Mahomes. This archetype of the guide comes in many forms. For Mahomes, it was a 12-year veteran quarterback he was brought in to replace. It's no coincidence that we did Scout Sunday today because all of those leaders that go sweat in Osceola, Missouri, isn't that where the big cheese store is? Okay, heard of that. <laughs> People who go and sweat it out in Osceola, surrounded by cheese, and stay in uncomfortable cabins, give up their evenings. They're being guides to these students. It's amazing. Joseph Campbell said in his book, now this is not a comment on our scout leadership, 
Uh, Joseph Campbell said in his landmark book, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, that heroes often encounter a protective figure, often a little old crone or old man. So when you think about this archetype, think of some of the most famous guides in movies or stories that, that, that you can remember. These are some of those beloved guides that come alongside the hero. I mean, think about Obi-Wan and Luke. Uh, Mr. Miyagi, one of my all-time faves. The fairy godmother in Cinderella. M in James Bond. Uh, Hamish from The Hunger Games. And, and my boy, AJ, who plays uh, the drums here, he wanted to make sure we got a Rafiki shout-out uh, with, with uh, Simba, right? I mean, these are the guides that come alongside the hero and help them in their journey. The guide is one of four roles and stories that are almost universal. And that's what we've been looking at these last four weeks. The hero, the villain, the victim, and the guide. And we've been leaning heavily on a book called Hero on a Mission by Donald Miller. And he says that these four characters exist in stories because they exist in life. And, and we can each play those different characters at different times. The victim is the character who feels they have no way out. The villain is the character who makes others feel small. The hero is the character who faces their challenges and transforms. And the guide is the character who helps the hero. Guides have faced challenges and transformation on account of those challenges. And then they come alongside a fledgling hero. This is what Miller says about guides. The main characteristic of a guide is that they help the hero win. That help must come from experience, and the most important experience they have had is in turning difficult situations into opportunities to transform. So throughout this series, we're kind of smashing together Miller's framework of these four archetypes, along with the story of Moses, found in the first half of the Bible called the Old Testament. Moses was a victim of slavery, having been separated from his family, as his people, the Israelites, are enslaved by the Egyptians. Moses reluctantly answers God's call to confront Pharaoh, the villain, the king of Egypt, who's, who's brutal to the Hebrew people in slavery. And as a hero, Moses liberates them from slavery, leading them out of Egypt. And today we'll see that even heroes need help, and that guidance comes in the form of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro. Jethro arrives after God parts the Red Sea in Exodus 14. Now, the most climactic part of Exodus, I'm just kind of glossing over. Right? So God provides an escape route for the people of Israel out of slavery. And now the people are out in the wilderness, out on their own, and they're on their way to the land God had promised them. The book of Exodus is named for the Israelites' exit out of Egypt and out of slavery. And we'll pick up in chapter 18, starting in verse 1. Now Jethro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, together with Moses' sons and wife, came to him in the wilderness, where he was camped near the mountain of God. So Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. They greeted each other and then went into the tent. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. Jethro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians. I thought this was a good summation of what happened after uh, Moses confronted Pharaoh, which we looked at last week. God has brought the people of Israel out of Egypt 
So now what? What next? Well, apparently a hero's work is never done. And we know that because that's why there's sequels, right? So God would bring them into the land that God promised, but the people of Israel are now kind of their own little miniature society. They're a miniature civilization, and they're figuring out how to function. And so in verse 13, we read, The next day Moses took his seat to serve as judge for the people, and they stood around him from morning till evening. When his father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, What is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning till evening? So Moses, having been chosen by God to lead them, is, is like the de facto governor. And some disputes that people would bring to him were legal matters. But in other cases, and this, this tradition develops further in Jewish law, when there wasn't much evidence to be presented or when the matter was especially serious, the matters were handled prophetically, meaning that Moses would bring them before God and, and they would be settled sort of in that environment. And this is how Moses describes this to his father-in-law Jethro in verse 16. Moses answered him, because the people come to me to seek God's will, whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me and I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. How would this conversation go with one of your in-laws? We got Scout Sunday, we got in-law Sunday. I should have made a bigger deal out of that. How would this conversation, what you were doing is not good. Is that helpful while you're preparing some holiday meal or whatever? I love that Jethro is just straight shooting. What you were doing is not good. How open are you to the guidance of others? Who do you allow to influence you? Jethro continues, you and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen to me and I will give you some advice and may God be with you. I'm going to use that with my father-in-law next time we talk too. I'm about to tell you something and may God be with you. <laughs> I need to stay on script here. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain and appoint them as officials over thousands, fifties, and tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide themselves. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. New plan, Jethro says. We got to share the strain. Moses needs to focus on his primary call to be the representative of God to the people and representing the people to God. Jethro is essentially saying, Moses, you don't need to be CC'd on every little email. Now, what I would like to do now is to present Exodus 18.24 to all the in-laws in the room. And I'm going to give a special shout-out to my father-in-law, Gil. I texted him this morning. Gil, I hope you're watching online. I'm going to send this to you if not. 
because this is for you. Exodus 18, 24. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. <laughs> We're, let's leave that up on the screen for a moment. So those of you who have children in the law, go ahead and take a picture because there's nothing better than a slightly spiteful text to one of your in-laws saying, I told you you should be in church. So that's for all the in-laws. Shout out to you. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did everything he said. So it's that easy. There you go. Just do what you're told, right? Uh, and one of the reasons I wanted to read the first part of Exodus 18 uh, was the warmth that, that Moses and Jethro had, that they greeted each other. That Sometimes in ancient societies, we don't get a picture of, of gracious customs and, and just interpersonal warmth. And you can see that again in verse 27, because Moses sent his father-in-law on his way and Jethro returned to his own country. I loved what African scholar Tokenbo Adeyomo said. He said, Moses recognizes that his father-in-law is giving sound advice that will solve a serious problem. And so he puts it into practice. Then, again demonstrating his wisdom, Jethro fades into the background. Both these men demonstrate the humility that goes with true leadership. I thought that was good. Moses recognized the wisdom of Jethro, who was aiding Moses as a guide. Now let's look at these images of, of the guides again. What do you notice? I thought it was great to be able to capture both the hero and the guide in the same image in each of these. The guides are all older. That's how guides tend to be, older and wiser. Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown of splendor. Now, I'm starting to, I'm starting to get a little Green Lantern thing going myself here. Getting a little church stressing me out a little bit. Getting a little gray in the beard. So I consider myself in this club as well. I think often we underestimate what we might have to offer others in terms of guidance. This is no matter what age you are now. It's what I call secondhand wisdom. What we have learned, usually from pain or failure, what could we have learned through that process that we could pass on to someone else? This way, they gain the wisdom, but they're spared the pain. That's the beauty of being a multi-generational church. That's the amazing part of having folks in leadership of all generations. We're going to have a choir next service, all generations. I, th I think an eight-year-old held the door for you when you came in, right? So this is for everybody. And especially to folks as, as we get a little more gray and maybe we retire, I'm here to tell you that doesn't mean that you're done. So no matter what your life stage is, my guess is it's easy to underestimate what we might have to offer others in terms of guidance. Now on the flip side, if we think we can be a hero who doesn't need a guide, we are probably mistaken. And so are we receptive to the guidance of others? You know, for years I would get on my end of year reviews, I wish Adam were more open to the ideas of others. And my response as a 25 year old was, well I would be if others had better ideas. See, I mean, that's, who wants to work with someone like that? Do we have enough humility to accept secondhand wisdom? If we put ourselves in a position to either give as a guide or receive from a guide, 
it can be mutually transformational. In the fall of 2022, last fall, Emily and Laura both joined a small group for the first time at our church. And I shared this with, uh, with full permission. They each had no way of knowing how their stories would intersect. Emily's mother was fighting cancer and Emily discovered she wasn't the only one who was facing this. Laura's mother had also done the same years before. Emily said it was so heartwarming to have someone who had been in her shoes step up and be that presence in her life. And when Emily's mother recently passed away, Laura was there as a guide into the next journey of grief for Emily. This is what Laura said. Usually we think of the guide as experienced, wise, or an expert on something. Laura, she's an accountant. So you could be an expert on accounting, a guide in accounting. We could all put together a resume of areas we would feel comfortable in offering our guidance. But when it comes to guiding others through more difficult and uncomfortable situations in life, things we don't feel like we even handled well ourselves, we might feel inadequate as a guide. Even if we've walked down a similar path, we might think, what do I really have to offer? But in reality, the ultimate guide is Jesus. I was just reading this email like, I know how I'm ending this sermon. Just quoting Laura for like two pages. She said, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Because Jesus was perfect, we don't have to be. He showed us how to love one another, and that is what we're called to do. We don't have to have the right words to say. We don't have to provide the right answers to fix the problem or situation. We can simply walk alongside each other in this journey, listening, sharing perspectives, being present as a friend. We don't often realize, here we go, how much the little things can mean to someone going through a hard season in life. A text, a hug, validating their feelings, listening to them, reminding them it's okay to not be okay and you are not alone. In regards to befriending Emily during her journey, I don't feel like anything I've done is particularly noteworthy or extraordinary. God orchestrated our connection through the mom's group at our church. This provided the opportunity to get to know each other and bond over shared experiences. Emily's courage, bravery, and commitment to faith during this hard time in her life has inspired me. Same goes for all the others in our mom group who have supported Emily as well and who have opened up and shared their own feelings and experiences. The role of the guide goes both ways, she said, and ultimately, I think this group and experience has brought us all closer to our relationship with God. Finally, parenthetically, shameless plug for the amazing things happening in Mom's Group, which I believe starts today at 4.30. So if you want to come back for that, they are open for, there are snacks, I'm being told. Hold on. Yes, there are snacks. (laughs) Emily also wanted to shout out Group Life. She said, we have these groups just for that reason. So we as a Christian can find those guides or be a guide for someone in need. That's discipleship, man. It's amazing how God can provide guides at just the right time when we need them or show us how we can be a guide even if we don't feel like we're doing anything extraordinary. The best guides seldom do, by the way, that God could use you in a way you may have never guessed. God's wisdom comes often in the wisdom and stories of others. The question is, are we willing to put ourselves in a position to receive them, to receive that guidance, and are we willing to give guidance when the opportunity presents itself? This is at the heart of our purpose as a church, to help guide people along their journey, to know Christ, 
grow together in faith, and go serve the world. And the role of guide is not limited to the office of a pastor. There's an image I think sums it up well. And I I had a special commission, uh, special art commissioned for this amazing graphic. I want you to imagine people ascending up a mountain. Here it is. Oh, man. (laughs) Somebody's going to get saved just looking at this picture. I want you, I do think this is a powerful image, so I am very serious. Each one ascending a mountain, having someone a step ahead of them with their arm up to emulate and to follow that person, plus someone a step behind them to encourage and bring upward and onward. It's a simple picture but it is a powerful image. Again, this to me is discipleship. Emily's group and Laura specifically helping her along her mother's illness and passing, all the while reminding her that the love and peace of Christ is present with her the whole time. And then Emily in turn can do the same for someone else. The last four weeks we've been in this series, The Hero and the Mission. We've talked a lot about heroes and their pursuit of an ambition beyond themselves, whether that is is overcoming being a victim or confronting a villain, heroes endure challenges and transform. But there's much more beyond our own heroics. Miller says that the most aspirational role for any of us is the role of the guide. And so the mission is not to be the hero in our own story. The mission is to emulate our hero, Jesus Christ, having extended our hands ahead of us up the mountain to be guided by him and others who are further along the way than we are, then we in turn extend our hands below to guide others along the way. The Apostle Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's discipleship. We spend so much of life wondering about the what of our mission. What should I major in? What college should I go to? What career path should I choose? I mean, I think our kids start thinking about this in what, third grade? We, and I'm not saying what is bad. I love the what of being a pastor. But we get so hung up on the what of what our mission in life should be, I wonder what if instead the mission was about who we are following with the hand up and who we are bringing along behind us. So friends, if you want to have a worthwhile mission in life, it's going to require both hands. It's going to take two hands to have any mission worth living, worth getting up out of bed for. One hand forward being lifted up from someone else, following Jesus. And one hand extended behind you, bringing somebody else along the way. Friends, don't underestimate the ability and guidance you can offer to someone else. And don't underestimate the importance of someone playing the role of the guide in your life. A hand up and a hand behind you. Friends, any mission is going to take both hands. And everybody said, amen. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today, for this appointment with you. Thank you for, uh, thank you for Alex Smith. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for the courage of Emily and Laura to have their witness be shared. We're so grateful uh, for their humility and and courage in in allowing us to learn from them. 
God, we pause in this moment and lift up all the guides in our lives that have helped bring us where we are today. We name them on our hearts as we're together in your presence now. God, help us, maybe let those folks know. Help us look for an opportunity to let the guides in our lives know what they've meant to us. And God, help impress upon us how we might humbly offer advice and guidance to the people in our sphere of influence and relationship. God, thank you for a community of faith, this community of unlikely friends, Different generations holding the door for each other, serving each other, learning from one another. Thank you for a place where we can be on this journey up the mountain of faith together. God, we extend our hands upward to you. That we would listen to your voice above all the other competing voices in the world for what is best and what is good. And that we might not do that in isolation. And we ask that you would bring other people into our lives to help us along the path. And God, would you give us the courage to extend that hand behind us as well. That we wouldn't underestimate what you've brought us through and how others might learn from that process as well. God, help us live a life with our hands full. Whatever thing we're going to leave this place and go to, help us remember the who, who we follow and who we're reaching out to. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.